Welcome to episode six of the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast, season two. My name's Dave T, and I'm chair of the Wales Coaching Centre at the University of South Wales. We provide coaching, mentoring, and supervision, working with individual practitioners to develop their coaching and mentoring expertise and with organisations to help their coaching and mentoring practice to flourish. Our guest for this episode is Tess Cope, leadership and systemic coach, author and founder of the Transformation Agency. Tess works internationally with organisations seeking to develop their leaders and transform their systems. She's author of the highly rated book, Harness, a systemic approach guaranteed to revolutionise your coaching And Tess also does a lot of work with horses, which I'm very, very curious to explore as we get into this conversation. Thank you for joining us, Tess. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Let's start, if you don't mind, by telling our listeners a bit about you, a bit about your background, and also how you first became interested in coaching, please. Of course. So my early career was working in the business, and by that I mean working my way through a number of roles, which included telesales, sales manager, marketing, operations, and really trying to understand the fabric and the DNA and, and you know feet on the ground, close to the customer kind of stuff. That's what I mean by working in the business. And the second half of my career, I was actually enticed to move across to HR and, and in particular a role in learning and development. And to be absolutely honest, I hadn't really considered that because I was enjoying what I was doing so much. But once I landed, I realized, wow, this really creates a fire in my belly that I didn't even realize existed. And so my roles moved from learning and development um, and being responsible for development across the group of companies through to senior HR director roles. And that was across a number of sectors. So my very early years were in social housing, moved into financial services, spent the biggest chunk of my career in media. So that included magazine publishing, both B2B and B2C and radio. And then finally, my last role before moving independent I was HR director for a private healthcare company, gorgeous company headquartered in Copenhagen. And then in 2010, the way I call it is I cut the umbilical cord and set myself up as independent from that point. So hopefully that's a bit of a flavor. And where did coaching come into the equation? I suppose before I moved into the learning and development role I mentioned, I was very privileged to be in an organization where coaching was part of the culture. So I experienced it, although I may may not even realize that's what it was called, of course, in my early formative years. So I experienced an organization that was really dedicated to developing people and their managers were really good coaches. And then when I moved over into that learning and development role, it was a core part of the offering. And so, of course, I had to do my own training to get the fundamentals in play. On a personal level, I used to do a lot of running, and so I also had a running coach. So in both dimensions of life, I've been really fortunate to experience fantastic coaches, actually. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much. You head up this company called the Transformation Agency, 
And it's very, very clear that uh, there's this passion for what's called systemic coaching. For any listeners who aren't aware of systemic coaching as an approach, if we could start by you perhaps giving us a grounding in what systemic coaching is, please, Tess. Yeah, of course. So let me talk about what it does, and then I'll build out from that. I think where it's different is the intention is to get to the root cause of issues. And so it's really about unpacking the layers That may be at an individual level, but it also may be at an organizational level. And I talk about systemic coaching being whole system, whole person. So what's happening in terms of a pattern, and of course, we're typically working on something that we're we're trying to change, that pattern could belong to the organization, but it may also, or instead, it could belong to the person. So we're really trying to get to the root cause and where it comes from so that ultimately we're trying to get a sustainable movement. So the difference really is about how you get to that root cause. And the process that we would go through from a systemic point of view is we really try and bring that pattern, that limiting pattern, to the surface and really explore where are the roots? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from further up the organization and playing out at the level that we're working with? Does it belong further back in time? Where did it actually start? So instead of working with the here and now, we're actually moving in time zones and we're moving across levels in our exploration with an idea of where does this really belong? We understand it's playing through here and now, maybe through you know, one person or a couple of people or in a function, but we're just checking. Let's not assume it belongs totally there. So once we've surfaced it and explored its roots, then it's about shifting the pattern. And importantly, really importantly, we harvest the insights and the learnings that that pattern has created. I'll say a little bit more about what I mean now about getting to the root cause. From a systemic point of view, we think about the organization as a living system, so almost like an entity, if you like. And what we know from the work in the systemic field, I'll maybe add to where it initially comes from if that's helpful, but what we know, there are some principles for a healthy system, healthy organizational system. And if I give you the headlines, because this is the lenses we look through to find root cause. The first piece is around, is there a sense of order in this living system? Can people find their place in this organization? Is there a really healthy level of mutuality? So there's a balance of give and take. Do we honor the roots and where everyone has come from and how the organization has got to today? I certainly know that I've made a mistake as a leader over my career where I've come into a new role, all guns blazing, and really wanted to drive things forward, but not really being cognizant and respectful of everything that has taken to get to this point in time. So honoring history is a really important dynamic around that sense of order. And all of that combined allows people to find a sense of belonging. So that's what we mean by order. The second, and there's three in total, I call this the three O's, which I talk about in the book. So the first O is order, sense of order. The second O is an orientation. 
So in a healthy system, when people are brought in, they understand the direction of travel, they understand the core purpose, and there's a sense of leadership that allows people to keep moving. And so they really feel they can get that anchor point to orientate themselves, whether that's an individual, a function, a division, and maybe even a country part of the business. And then the third O that creates this healthy system is a level of openness. And here what we mean is about the organization and the leaders within it are attuned to what's happening in their environment, in their sector, in their market, and importantly, with their customers. So there's a sense that they can receive the messages and they're able to evolve. So there's not only an openness in terms of their tune, but they're able to emerge and evolve. Otherwise, the view is the company will basically shrivel and not be effective. So I appreciate that's a holistic and full response, but there's quite a lot there to be thinking about when we get to the root cause. But can I be cheeky and maybe be even more holistic then, Tess? Of course. Because you talk about your passion for sustainability. You talk about encouraging client individuals and organizations to be mindful of the wider ecosystem. So I'm presuming sometimes the work might be even broader than the organization as a whole system. Absolutely. So uh, maybe if I share an example of a piece of work I've done, which I do refer to in the book as well. So I'm not releasing anything that I haven't already put in the public domain because it's always about being mindful about what you share clearly when it's working with clients. But I was working with an executive leadership team. And when we look at the health of the system, we literally what I call map it. So we create a 3D map of the organization in the context of its ecosystem. And we check where are the really good relationships? Where is their health and vitality versus where might there be a level of unhealthy stuff going on where things have got toxic, where instead of looking at each other in the ecosystem and and creating that mutuality I mentioned earlier, we have people looking away and ignoring their impact as an organization for example, on the environment, but it isn't only the environment. So yeah, depending on who I would be working with, an executive leadership team is absolutely appropriate to zoom back quite wide and think about the wider ecosystem, 100%. Okay, so you've sold us on the the importance and the benefits of a systemic approach to coaching. For curious coaches listening to our conversation, what might be one or two tools that maybe are in your book or that they can source that they could perhaps start to use to bring this systemic lens into their work? Absolutely. Both of these are in the book and obviously more flesh on the bone is there and available, but very happy to share. I would say the first thing I would bring to front of mind for a coach, regardless of who they're working with, is acknowledge the whole person perspective. And I think that's even more relevant because the lines are so blurred in the current context. You know, we're working often with people on Zoom and they're sitting in their kitchen or depending on where they are in their own journey of maturity, they could be sitting in a flat chair. So, you know, really thinking about that blurred lines and allowing people to be whole in that conversation 
for those other factors to be here and available to speak about. So acknowledging the whole person is one part of that. Another dimension of thinking about the whole person, and I am often in this territory with clients, it's not unusual for, and I'm typically working with senior leaders, but this will be the same no matter who we're working with. It's not unusual for our family patterns to be unconsciously playing out in the organization. So it can be really helpful when we're coaching to help people think about where is this actually coming from? Is this a pattern from my family or is this a pattern that really belongs in the organization? And giving people some space to separate those two things, it's not always appropriate to work with the pattern from the family system. A, you may not have the remit. B, it might not be the right timing. And C, the person might not be ready. But they can hold some space and separate them. So that would be my first, I think, piece that I would offer. And the second one is... One of the fundamental steps with the systemic approach is honoring the history. And, you know, I alluded a, a second ago, uh, and I've fallen into this trap myself, where it's about, you know, driving things forward. There is an appropriate piece of attention needed for honoring everything that it took to get to where we are today, including for that individual, because, you know, Individuals can, you know, especially if they're in a period of change, they're trying to think about, you know, what they want to get rid of and, you know, try to move forward. But there is a place and an appropriateness to go, hang on a second, let's be respectful and honor and be grateful for the big milestones, the big learning points, the big challenges, not just that we've experienced, i.e., the individual, but maybe people that have made a sacrifice for this to be an opportunity in the first place. Classic example in the work context would be, you know, if an organization has gone through a major reorganization and they've had to let people go, those that are left behind can be really grateful and honoring and giving space to think about all that has taken for the new opportunities to be here today. And there is something that happens during change that if we don't honor the history, we will unconsciously create resistance in the system. So there's something about being respectful of everything that it's taken to get to where we are today. Could you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, of course. So I'm just going to see if I can draw on an example. Yes, so I've got a really classic example of this. And this example is in the book as well. So my book is full of case studies, so I really want to try and bring this to life. So senior leader coming into as part of an existing organization, but moving into a whole new division and a whole new country and incredibly ambitious, incredibly skilled, you know, loads of fantastic experience behind them. And they were given a part of the business that needed some care and attention because results were starting to tail off. And it had previously been a very successful part of the organization. And this individual really wanted to hit the ground running, rallied the troops in terms of his leadership team, put together a strategy, really clear plan. And everyone was nodding, going, yeah, that completely makes sense. We've done all the analysis. We have a plan to move forward. But in the planning and in the strategizing, there was a lot of disrespect 
and making, you know, calling out where mistakes had been made previously and talking about all the problems and what hadn't been done. And what we discovered is the whole system went into a bit of paralysis. It created a resistance. So from a cognitive point of view, there was really good plans, but energetically, the whole business was stuck and it couldn't move. So there was a huge resistance to actually, in a, in a very literal way, making those plans become a reality. But at a cognitive level, at a logical level, it didn't make sense. But when we unpacked it, what we realized is actually people are feeling disrespected when once they were really proud of the organization, they were actually feeling like we must have done a really bad job without that ever being literally phrased. But because the honoring of the history hadn't happened appropriately, the resistance kicked in unconsciously. It was never expressed. Um, but once we took care of that, then there was a real takeoff back into performance. I'm hoping that makes sense. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing that example. You've mentioned this book. We mentioned it at the top of the recording, Harness. What was it, Tess, that made you think, right, I've got a book in me? And what were your particular hopes for what you would want readers to take away from Harness, please? Well, what, what I'd like to share here, Dave, is the why of the book. And for me, I'm incredibly passionate about building this particular capability, systemic coaching capability, inside the systems inside organizations you know I've been internal and of course I am external and there's always a place for external coaches appropriately but I believe in order to create a sustainable movement in terms of the things that we're working through in coaching I think having in-house resource is incredibly valuable now the book will be as valuable for external coaches and independent coaches as it will for internal. But my why of getting it onto paper is because I'm really passionate about building this internal capability. So that's, that's really what, if you like, the impetus behind it. And then what meant that it got into the real world as opposed to in my head, two things happened. One is the pandemic. <laughs> and so the space all of a sudden was available. So rather than it whirling around in my head, I had an opportunity to start mapping it out on paper. And the second thing is on World Book Day, actually, I signed up with a book coach. And the, the book coach I signed up with is a 12-week program. And they guarantee at the end of the 12 week, you'll have your first draft complete. And so, yeah, and, and that's very much how I like to work. I like someone to hold me accountable, be by my side. And I think all of us who are coaches, in my view, we need to be open to coaching as well. And so I really, I really leverage that opportunity. So any words of guidance or wisdom for any listeners who maybe feel they've got a, a book inside them? I would say a couple of things. So apart from the obvious about getting someone to coach you through it, and by the way, that doesn't need to be an official book coach. There may be a, you know, a few people who are both interested and they could partner with each other. So apart from getting some coaching partners and, or accountability partners into play, I would say my biggest learning was to map out the book up front before I did any writing. 
is to map out what is this book for? What is it trying to achieve? And then what might be the chapters that create the journey to ensure that that is achieved? And as I mapped that out, I thought of what would be the rich case studies that bring this to life? And by the way, actually, one of the things that I did do before I started writing and prior to getting my book coach on board, I did a bit of research. So I spoke to quite a few clients and I asked them if I were writing a book on coaching, what would be important? And one of the things that came through very clearly is a balance of giving them some practical frameworks and case studies that bring it to life. And so I really held that counsel in my mind to make sure there was a real rich, you know, uh, mix of both of those in, in the book. Thank you. You've already been kind and generous enough to share some advice about considerations and techniques that coaches interested in systemic work might want to use. I'm also aware that you have your share model. Yes. And it's got that element in it about the importance of honouring what's gone before that you've touched upon. Can you talk us through the share model, please? Of course I can. So there's there's two key frameworks I have. So just before I open into share, the name of the book Harness is actually a coaching framework. So H stands for honoring history, A stands for acknowledging reality and so forth. So each of the stages of the coaching framework is literally through the harness. So and then this is, a, if you like, an overarching framework just to be in conversation with people because you don't always have the opportunity to move into coaching mode. And so you can actually invite people into a systemic conversation using share. So S stands for, well, let's step back. Let's just view what might be going on in the wider system that would help us make sense of what we're seeing, what we're hearing, or what this issue is. So it's you know it's pulling them back from being so close to the issue and doing a bit more of a landscape scan. Then the H in share stands for honoring history. And hopefully I've given, you know, given you some depth to that. And it's recognizing, let's not, let's not try and jump too quickly to solve it. Let's first of all go, well, how did we get here? Then let's, the A is for acknowledge. Let's understand what, if any, might be the very good reasons why this is happening. Because they may not necessarily be all negative. There could be a very good reason that we are where we are and what's happening. Then the R is, okay, once we determine the bits that maybe aren't so helpful and we've done everything up to this point, let's think about now what needs to be released. What's the pattern that needs to be released in the system? And what might be the things that we've learned as a consequence? So that's what we mean by harvesting the rewards. And then finally, when we release the pattern, we have hopefully created a bit of a space to think about What else wants to come in? So the E in share is about let's now enable this future, perhaps still emergent. Let's enable that to come through and importantly create some space for it. And the subtext on that one is what needs to stop in order that there is space for that new stuff to actually make its way through to us. So, yeah, the the share is more of a conversational piece. It's also a really nice framework that you can have at a leadership table and bring people with, you know, on a journey of a conversation. Harnessed by comparison is more about helping people move through a coaching journey. I do like with the A for acknowledgement, the fact that 
I might even say invariably. <laughs> However something's perceived right now, there is probably a very honourable and positive intent as to what the function of it was at the time yeah. that it originated. Yeah, absolutely. And that can get lost sight of. Yeah. Fantastic. I am also curious, as I said in the introduction, that you also incorporate working with horses into your coaching practice. Please, please do tell us more about this. So I have always, and always meaning for as long as I can remember, being at knee height to my parents, had a passion for horses. I don't quite know where it's come from. It's probably like being Irish because the Irish are typically known for being very horse friendly. So I've always had that passion. And then when I moved my career into this learning development space, I got to a point where, not least because I wanted to integrate and keep life simple, I thought, well, what can I bring together rather than it feeling separate? And so I undertook a number of trainings and still do as to how I can incorporate the horses in my work in particular in a one-on-one setting, but I also do utilize them and I have done it internationally when I've been working with leadership teams. And if, if I give you just an example of where they can really make uh, a very positive contribution, if the agenda was to really help a client open up in their emotional intelligence, get in touch with that, you know, a deeper sense of self, if they're very strong on logical and cognitive, but haven't yet developed that emotional intelligence, time with the horses somehow tends to break through that barrier because energetically, you know, you're with the horse and your language and your stripes don't matter, frankly. <laughs> you know, that just that energetic connection just seems to melt away. Some of those classic barriers can get away in terms of building relationship. So it's as practical spending time walking the horses, being with the horses, just seems to break down barriers that that perhaps would be there between humans otherwise. Another way that I have utilized the horses, and, and there are there are many ways, including from a systemic point of view, but I'll just give you a tiny example. There's a particular activity that we get people involved with the horses. Um, and this is part of a leadership program that I was working with and delivering. And the task will sound incredibly simple, but I gave one of the delegates one of my horses with a head collar and a, they have like a what we call a lead line. In other words, a piece of rope that attaches to the head collar so that the human can lead the horse around a space. And I asked the individual to lead the horse around this quite large open space and over a couple of barriers. And they immediately had the horse, the, the lead line, so tightly held that the horse could not even move its head. And so within less than 60 seconds, you have some data on that person's kind of way of operating. And so within only a few minutes, I was able to open up a parallel conversation tell me about your leadership style, tell me about how you check in with your people. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really on top of my people. I check in with them five times a day. It's like, wow. So what we saw with the leading, the horses so tightly controlled was exactly the behavior that was playing out in the organization. 
So one of the great things about working with the horses is they create a platform for feedback very, very quickly. I'm delighted to say, though, within 30 minutes of working with that same individual, I got them to practice letting go of the lead line. So no, no attachment physically. And he was walking behind the horse, getting and guiding it to its destination, with the parallel being, how could you enable your people? How can you create energy behind your people, but not be on top of them? And so you're constantly working with the parallels of, you know, the here and now with the horse relationship. How does that play out in the organization? So, yeah, it, it creates a platform for feedback, very rich, honest feedback very, very quickly. Another example, I had the horse jumping out of an arena and away from a CEO because he was also too on top of the horse. And so we were working with how do you lead at distance? And so then we started exploring. Ah, okay, you were too close. You weren't giving enough autonomy. You weren't giving them enough space. How does that play out in the organization? So there's lots of fantastic parallels that you can create a very safe environment for. Very, very rich metaphor and a a lived experience. And hopefully they've gone back to their respective organizations and loosened their grip somewhat. Yes. Well, that that first person I spoke to, two years later, they're still talking about that experience. Wonderful. I hesitate to ask this final question because (laughs) (laughs) you shared such a breadth of uh, expertise and wisdom and practice, but I'm going to. So we like to close by asking you about what's exciting you now. What is it that's sort of coming up in um, the coaching industry, practice, ideas that's really catching your attention? I was reflecting on this earlier and I thought, well, not just earlier, but over the last few months, actually. And for me, with the systemic approach in mind, I think there's more of an openness to acknowledging what's happened before needs to be acknowledged in order to move things forward. Because I think, you know, previously, and myself included, I was trained, don't look back, look forward. You know, it's about helping the client be solution focused. And actually, I think there's more of an open mind in terms of maybe we need to broaden the conversation a little bit. Sometimes going back in order to go forward might be appropriate. And for me, that I think is where the innovation is. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much for the conversation today, Tess. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. This podcast is brought to you by the Wales Coaching Centre based at the University of South Wales. We're a centre of excellence for coaching and mentoring, here to support their development and growth through training, qualifications, conferences, CPD events, and our community of practice. To find out more, search... USW Coaching and Mentoring.